Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody, those watching online. Um, we're in a series uh, looking at the book of James. It's a short book, but it's so practical. And what we're going to discover today is James is going to allow us to see the reality of our lives and to get the right perspective about our lives. I think so much um, disappointment that we find in life is unmet expectations. We have these certain expectations that everything is going to go perfect in our lives, right? Wrong expectation. How many know that's not true? There are things that are going to happen in our lives. And because of unmet expectations, we expect things to go this way. And when they don't, we're frustrated. And what we're going to see in the first chapter of James here, James is going to give a, a, a real perspective on our lives and how we're to view our lives And we're going to juxtapose it to the gospel message. And if we truly understand the gospel message, it's going to help us with our expectations in our lives. That here in this world, not everything is going to work out the way we want it to. You know, the the frustrations maybe in past choices or relationships or marriage, all those things that may not have ended well. And sometimes we beat ourselves up over that. Sometimes uh, we're disappointed. Sometimes those regrets of our past seem to always haunt us and they always seem to come back and not really allow us to live in the freedom of God's grace through his son, Christ Jesus. And so it's important that we get a fresh perspective of ourselves. What I love about the book of James is for the author, James, because James was the brother of Jesus. And can you imagine growing up with Jesus? I mean, to, to have James become a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. And, and much of church tradition tells us that James actually died a martyr's death. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church. His faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior just authenticates really who Jesus is. Can you imagine that him following his brother and knowing that he is God, that he is Lord and Savior, and that he's following and actually gives his life for him? I mean, this is incredible. This gives so much validity to the person of Jesus that he is indeed God, the Son of God. And so as we've been looking through this book, James is writing to those believers that are dispersed uh, outside of Jerusalem. Some are going through some suffering, some persecution. Some aren't getting along in the church. And, and it's just a, a really just a book on how to put wheels to your faith, how to put the reality of your faith. Do what you believe. Just don't be hearers of God's word, but actually be doers of God's word. So it's a very practical book. And what I want to look at today is we're going to look at this perspective thing. How many of you know that we have different perspectives about the way we look at things? You ever done that with your spouse? You just look at things differently? Anybody out there, right? You look at things, you look. I remember when we, um, we, we first time we ever traveled to Arizona, my nephew moved out there and I'm like, oh, we got to go. And now my sister lives out there and her other son. But I said, we got to go out there because I've always loved to see, I wanted to always see the Southwest and I wanted to see the Grand Canyon. I've always wanted to see the Grand Canyon. So we're, we're in Phoenix. It's like a four, four and a half hour drive up to the Grand Canyon. We take our kids. Our kids are younger than maybe 10, 12. I, I can't remember their exact ages. But, but we drive up there and I am pumped to see the Grand Canyon. I've always wanted to see it. We drive up there. Now, you can't see the Grand Canyon because it's a big hole in the ground. So you can't see it until you actually get up to it. We park. We walk up this long paved path to get there. And all of a sudden, you're kind of walking up and there it is. And I'm telling you what, I never get emotional, but I got emotional. 
those you know me well, you know I get emotional. And I'm just looking at this vast expanse. I mean, if, if you've ever been there, you just you, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm there, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm not telling you, we were there about three to five minutes, and the kids were saying, okay, let's get back in the car and go back. I'm like, no, are you kidding me? The perspective I saw is this is grandeur, this is beautiful. And for them, like, eh, it's okay. It's a big hole in the ground. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to sit here in the seat, in this bench, you're going to sit here for six hours and just stare at it. Stare at its beauty, okay? Enjoy it. It's interesting how we have these different perspectives. It's interesting with your friends or maybe even your spouse when you begin to look at life and your different perspective and the way you look at things. Some of you may be married to someone who's more emotional or who more is reactive. How many of you are married to maybe more of an emotional person or someone who just um, tends to overreact quickly? Don't raise your hands. Don't say anything. But maybe you're married to that person that tends to overreact uh, pretty quickly. Maybe you're married to somebody who underreacts. And it's interesting that when you look at a situation, how frustrating it can be for people who are married to the opposite, someone who overreacts or someone who underreacts to a situation. For the person who overreacts, it drives you nuts that your spouse or your friend doesn't care as much as you do. And they will use words like, don't you care? Why is this not bothering you? The world's ending in five minutes and you don't care, right? It's just a different perspective. And then, you know, maybe they say to you they don't care or they process it differently. But the person that that doesn't overreact, maybe they're just, they process it differently. The person that tends not to overreact, it drives you nuts because how your spouse tends to react or overreact very quickly. And you might say words like, you're being emotional. Can I just say something right now? Don't use that phrase. Don't, don't say that. It's going to save you a lot of uh, you know, fights from not having fights. For the emotional person, they may tell the non-emotional persons, you know, saying you just don't care, why don't you care? See, the interesting thing here is perspective matters. Right? The way you look at things matters. Having a right perspective matters so that we don't underreact or overreact. What James does here in this chapter is really amazing. What he does is he gives us a proper perspective regarding how we are to see ourselves and how we're to deal with temptation. We're going to deal more with temptation next week. What James does is James gives us a proper perspective for those who lack means and for those who are wealthy. How do we have a proper perspective with us when we don't have a lot or we have a lot? He provides a proper proper perspective on how to deal with these and not being tempted by prosperity or the lack of it. You see, there's this temptation to trust our wealth. And there is a temptation to feel unworthy because of the lack of it. And this is what James deals with. James gives us this proper perspective in both cases. The greatest trial is when we feel like we have no difficulties. And so James is going to deal with the reality of life the expectations of life, and how to have a proper perspective of ourselves. This leads us to become, if we're dependent on ourselves, self-sufficient, and this lack of dependency on God. And so James tells us how we can protect ourselves from this type of thinking, to have a proper perspective of ourselves. So listen to what James says. James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. James says, tells believers in humble circumstances, he says this, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. 
since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises and scorches, the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. The blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen to God's word. This is God's word. So what is James unpacking here for us? What is he telling us? Because it's very interesting what he says to both groups of people. To those who lack means, to those who are in humble circumstances, and for those who have much in the way of material things, what James does is he gives a proper perspective of their circumstance. To not allow their circumstance to give them their identity of who they are in Christ. He tells the rich and poor to actually take pride in their position or to boast in their position or to rejoice in their position. Now, this this is interesting because it sounds strange for us because when we hear the word pride or boast, we tend to, to, to have the idea that's not good to do that, right? That's dishonoring to God. But James is not talking about this in a self-serving way. And we know that we, don't, we never like to listen to someone who brags about their lives and achievements, right? No one likes to, to hear that because we always feel bad about ourselves. No one likes to listen to someone bragging about their lives, their achievements. And, and, and we can do it in subtle ways. We can do it by one-upping someone else's story. And, oh, yeah, you got that story? Well, let me tell you about my story. Let me tell you about, you know. And you're like, oh, you went to the Grand Canyon? Well, I parachuted out of a plane into the Grand Canyon. You're like, oh, okay. Well, I just sat there for five minutes with my kids and went back home. So, you know, it, it's... We tend to do that in in subtle ways. But this is not what James is alluding to. James is talking about boasting about something very important or taking pride in something very important. In fact, he's, he's saying do the opposite of what the world would do. Instead of taking pride in yourselves and saying, look at how great I am or look at at all my achievements. What James says, no. Take proper perspective. And listen, listen, listen. Mm, 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 mm. If, if we don't immerse this in the gospel message, we're not going to get it. We're not going to have a proper perspective of ourselves. James is not saying it's wrong to have things. He's not condemning those that are wealthy or vice versa, those that don't have a lot, saying, well, you don't have God's blessings. You must be missing something in life. He's not saying that. What he is saying, you have to compare it to the gospel message. Don't attach your identity to what you have or what you do. See, that's what we're fighting in this world, right? It's all about who we are and what we do and how successful we are. And we present this type of thing before the world and the world thinks, oh, you're you're, you're doing so well. And the opposite can be true because we can feel bad about ourselves if we haven't achieved certain things or or certain material status. And then we feel bad about ourselves, that we're not worthy. This is exactly what James is speaking to. What James is telling us to do is actually boast in the gospel message or literally glory in the gospel. And so we should look at our lives, regardless of our position, with a perspective on the gospel. So how does this work? Well, the reason why it works is the gospel humbles us. It humbles us for this reason. Everything that is given to us 
is purely through God's grace. So here's how the, here's how the gospel speaks to those who don't have a lot in, in the ways of material things or wealth and how the gospel speaks to those who have a lot in the way of material things. How does the gospel speak to those situations? Well, we need to understand every, the breath that we have in our lungs is from God, that we are God's creation, that we are helpless, that we are sinners, that we need a savior to save us. Our wealth can't save us. None of those things can bring us into heaven. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You hear that all the time, right? None, none of, that it, it doesn't give you any status in heaven just because you have more. So what the gospel says is that we're all beggars. We all need a savior. Our sin has separated us from God, no matter what your position is. And so what the gospel does, the gospel, listen, this is crazy, but listen to me. The gospel is good news for those that don't have a lot. And the gospel is good news for those that have a lot. Well, those that have a lot, they're not going to want the gospel because they have a lot and they feel like they're doing good, right? No, here's how it speaks good news. It speaks good news to those that don't have a lot because what James says is take pride or boast that your inheritance is in heaven. Nothing can take that away. Boast that your position is different. It's not based in the world standard. Just because you may not have a lot doesn't mean that your status is less than. In fact, boast in this position that you have the crown of life. And then the gospel also is good news to those that have a lot because it says this, you can't take it with you. Your wealth is meaningless for your status in heaven. And guess what? That's humbling. That's a humbling thing to realize that the things that I've accumulated in this world or the status that I have in this world or the position that I have in this world in comparison to the gospel is meaningless. Because without Christ, we're lost. We're lost. Listen, it's going to be 34 years I've been in full-time ministry coming up this year in 2024. I can't believe it. And you do a lot of funerals, right? You do, I do a lot of funerals. And what's interesting is doing funerals and being with people at the end of their life, how much they strive to make relationships right. It's interesting when you have a celebration of life or a funeral and they set up picture boards or we do maybe a video montage of their life. It's interesting the pictures that families pick. You walk into the church or maybe to the funeral home and they have a picture board without their picture. I don't think ever I've been at any funeral, the hundreds and hundreds of funerals I've done, I don't think I've ever saw a picture of that person's net worth. I don't think I ever saw that. Um, I don't think I ever saw a picture of someone at work sitting at their desk making a business deal. Mm, that's so, mm, mm, that's so good. I never saw it. I never see it. Not that it's not important to work. We should work. We should work hard, right? But what do you see? Family. Relationships. Vacations. Grandkids sitting on grandpa's knee. All about relationships. What's most important? I've never seen any pictures of that person's bowling trophies. 
picture of their checkbook. Never saw any of that. I don't see it. It's relationships that matter. See, what James is saying is, what are you hitching your life to? Because if you're not hitching your life to the right thing, it will disappoint you. If you're hitching your life because you don't feel worthy enough, then you're going to be striving in this world to try to gain your identity by being accepted by the world. Does that work? No. If you're trying to gain your identity by what you do and how successful you are and and by your net worth, is that going to satisfy you? No. Because it will never be enough. I was listening to a documentary about... uh, the Florida Gators when they won the national championship back in early 2000s. Urban Meyer was the coach, a very successful coach. Took them to the national championship, won, went to Ohio State, won national championship there. Something really shocked me when I was listening to the story about uh, the national championship after they won it. And this is what he said. He said, it almost drove me crazy. He goes, because that championship wasn't enough. He goes, I couldn't sleep at night. I was driven by needing to win it again and again. And he goes, I was miserable. I couldn't sleep. I had to take sleeping pills. I hardly got any sleep. He goes, it was, he goes, it was one of the worst times of my life. And you would, wouldn't you think just the opposite? That being so successful in winning a national championship with a football team would be one of the best parts? But he goes, it actually did the opposite. See, what James is saying is, where are you hitching your identity to? And this is where it gets really interesting and how James explains our life as a fading flower. This is really interesting what he says here. And I want to unpack this for you in just a second. And so what God says to the humble, you will be vindicated or lifted up by God. Take pride in that or boast in that, that God is going to lift you up. With those with wealth, understand that your wealth is temporary, which will humble you. It gives us the right perspective. See, what James is saying is that the gospel humbles us. Whether you have much or less, it humbles us, realizing our only dependency is on God and God alone, that we need a Savior. You see, a truly humble person that, listen, that truly humbles, understands the gospel and what Christ did for you and what he gave up for you and how he died for us, that everything's for our benefit, that none of us deserved it or earned it or merited it. When we understand that it humbles us, that we have nothing to do with it. I wish I could say have perfect church attendance, read the Bible, do all these good acts, and then you'll be fine. No, I mean, that's good, do it, that's fine. But but to God's glory. But the problem is, If we don't truly understand the gospel and it doesn't humble us, there's a disconnect with our understanding, our relationship with Christ. Because a truly humble person will always deflect praise. Now catch this. Now, we should encourage each other, amen? I love to be encouraged. It encourages me to be encouraged, right? I love being encouraged. And when someone encouraged me with something, I, I, w- I would just tell them, thank you, that means so much to me. Thank you for encouraging me. Maybe we're having a bad day. Someone sends you a note, sends you a text, sends you an email. I'm like, oh gosh, it was that. that was the right timing. Thank you for praying for me. But listen, true praise always deflects. 
And it's okay to be encouraging and tell that person, thank you for encouraging me. But it's when we absorb the praise and we say, hmm, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm hot stuff, right? See, when we understand the gospel, we understand we don't deserve a thing. That whatever I accumulate in my life is because of God's hand and am I being a good steward with the things that he's given me. It, def- it deflects praise by saying, you know, when someone says something, you're like, oh yeah, thank you, I, I appreciate that. And you know, there's a lot of people that help me with it. I'm so thankful for them too. See, a, a truly humble person deflects it and allows God to get the glory. See, th- that's what James is saying. You, you deflect it by saying, man, I, I don't have to feel bad about my humble circumstances. I can actually boast in it knowing that my inheritance is with Christ because without him, I would never find that inheritance. So this world is not my own. And for the person that has a lot, they deflect the praise by saying, yeah, I may have a lot, but you know what? I ain't taking it with me. It's not who I am. It's not my identity. These things are just things that I want to use for God's glory and use them to bless other people in his kingdom. That's a humble person. Deflect the praise. So how does the gospel message bring proper perspective to both the rich and poor? Well, here's what James gets to here. We're to view ourselves in the light of our relationship with Christ, not our circumstances. So here, listen, we are able to be careful not to judge other people because of their circumstances in light of the gospel. So I'm not going to judge them because of their circumstance. I have no idea why they're in that circumstance, whether wealthy or not. I'm not the judge. We can easily do that, can't we? See, the lie is to place our identity in what we do and what we have. And James reminds us that our stuff or lack of stuff doesn't give us our identity. For those with less, they have a great inheritance in Christ. For those with more, They're going to realize in the humility because of the gospel message, it will not last. It will pass away like the flowers in the grass. I love this thought, and this is a thought that James brings out about not attaching your life to something that fades. Now, now just lean in. Uh, Tim Keller gives a great thought here, and I love it. He says, if you hitch your heart to something that fades, when it fades you will fade with it. Is that good? Okay, let me bring it home because some of you don't get it. You're like, what are you talking about? You look like a deer in a headlight. I look like a deer in a headlight with these lights. Listen, here's, here's, here's the thought that James is bringing out. If I attach my identity to my kids and I love my kids, right? If my identity is in my kids... When they don't succeed or succeed the way I want them to, if my identity is there, when they fade, I fade with them and I'm frustrated. Because then it becomes a reflection on me. Or when your kids leave the home, which we're getting there. We're the empty nesters. <laughs> right, anyways, okay. Boo-hoo, Barden. Okay, it's good. No more feeding other mouths. Get out of my house. Anyways. But, but, listen, if your identity is attached to your kids, when they fade away, How's your marriage? Because it will reveal what your marriage is like. Because if it's a kid-centered marriage, when they fade off and they go into their own life, it will reveal 
the identity and the strength of your marriage. If it's in your job and you lost your job tomorrow, if that faded away, what would your reaction be? See, we're going to fade with those things that we trust. In your life, as you get older, all of us are getting older. Newsflash, right? I'm not 27 anymore. I'm 57. My body can't do the same like a little back twinge, you know, spastic back over the last two weeks. I just, you know, I got to get up really slow. And, you know, I'm just, you feel your age as you get older. And I can't do what I did at 27. I wish I could, but I'm getting older. If my identity is placed in my abilities, my physical abilities, I'm going to get frustrated. Do you know why people have midlife crisis? Because they've attached their identity to who they are as a person. And when those things go away and they begin to fade away, you've got to try to fill it with something. Maybe it's a sports car or something. I don't know what it is, right? That's the, that's the joke. But it's true. Because we've attached our identity to something that is fading away. And if it's not attached to Christ and who he is, this world is going to be a very frustrating place for you. And it's going to be very frustrating for you. And my prayer for you is that you've not hitched your wagon to this world that's fading away. In fact, James calls it a vapor. It's a mist. It's here one day. Your life's here one day and gone the next. This life is a vapor. And James is encouraging both. Don't put your trust in what you don't have and don't put your trust in what you do have. What matters is who we are in Christ. Our stuff is not who we are. So what you do is not who you are. Your achievements are not who you are. It's who you are in Christ. And it's hard for us to accept this when we get older, but we are all fading away and we're all like flowers in the field. And James has just given us the reality, a a right perspective. And it's not to get us down, but it's actually to encourage us to say, look at your inheritance. Don't put your faith in stuff because stuff, you're just going to want more stuff and build bigger stuff to store your stuff. You know, we, you know, isn't it true? We like, we, we buy stuff with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I mean, it's just, I've heard that said over and over. And I said, that is such a true statement, isn't it? We do. We do. We do. That's our identities attached to the type of car we drive or with a clothes or whatever it is. It's not, well, once again, James is not saying those things are wrong. It's not wrong to have stuff. The problem is my, is my identity attached to that stuff that's fading. That's where we get frustrated. John Flavel, he, uh, he was a Puritan minister and he said this, to see a man humbled under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. To see a man humbled under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. What the gospel does is it frees us from ourselves. It frees us from the need of trying to impress people in the world with what I have or what I do. It frees us from trying to prove ourselves by what we do. It sets us free from the feeling of either worthiness, look, look how great I am by what I have, 
or frees us from the feeling of, I never measure up. I'm not good enough. It frees us from both of those. It gives us this new identity that is in Christ. And that gives us hope and praise that we will have that crown of life, that we will be with the Lord one day for those who have trusted Christ. So giving ourselves a proper perspective of the things that we have through the gospel message allows us to live our lives completely different. And so what what do we do? Pastor, what do I do with the things that I have? Use it for God's glory. Use it for God's kingdom. Use it to help others. Don't be attached to it. Don't let it rule your life. The gospel tells us we are bankrupt without Christ. I don't care how big your bank account is, you're still bankrupt. I don't care how little it is, you got a lot of wealth, which is in heaven. Changes everything. Let me put this, let me let me put a bow on this by by quoting Jesus and what he said in John 16, 26, because he just this is such a good way to to look at our lives and and to give us proper perspective. Jesus says. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What have you hitched your life to? Is it something that's fading? Are you frustrated? Then I'm going to say to you, you've hitched your life to the wrong thing. Are you looking to be received, accepted, all these other things through accomplishments? You're going to be always disappointed. It's a hole that can, it's a pit that can never be filled. Christ came to free you from yourself. Christ came to show you the way back to a right relationship with God that was broken because of our sin and waywardness. Because of our sin, we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. We're constantly trying to say, I can do it my own way. You can't. Jesus came to set us free from that by giving his life for us. By giving his life to God and becoming a sacrifice for you and I. He took on the wrath of God himself so we could be freed and we could find forgiveness. What good is it if we gain the whole world and lose ourselves? So what Jesus does is he sets you free from proving yourself and the need to be accepted for what you do. So my question to you this morning is, where are you? Are you beating yourself up because of your past? The gospel says, I've got good news for you. There's healing in Christ and there's forgiveness in him. For your bad choices, for your sin, you can find your identity in me now. For those who have been disappointed or maybe it's just like it's never enough and I just I need to achieve this and achieve this, there's good news for you. The gospel sets you free from the need to feel like you need to be perfect. And the need to make everybody else need to feel like they need to be perfect. The only one that's perfect is Jesus. Humble yourself before the gospel. Allow your identity to be in him and him alone. And you will will stop 
having to prove yourself. I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to shut up. What I love about coming to the gospel in humility is that we are now free because we are secure in Christ to admit our faults to others. We can say, yeah, my kids aren't doing great. I've tried as a parent to do my best and to raise them, but they're struggling. Because your identity is in Christ, you can feel free to say that and not feel judged. When your identity is in Christ and the gospel has humbled you, you're able to admit your frailties and your weaknesses to others. You're able to admit when you're wrong. You're able to admit your, when you're wrong to the world, when you've, you know, you know, whatever, whatever, you, you lost your temper. You know, whatever. When the, if the bills lose this afternoon, it's going to reveal what's going on in your heart, right? And you may have to apologize later, right? Something's going to come up. We're going to make a mistake today, tomorrow, next week, right? We're going to do it, right? The gospel humbles us to allow us to admit, I was wrong and I need Christ's help. And the reason why you have the freedom to do that and not cover yourself or make yourself better than you really are is because the gospel has humbled you. Your identity is not in the world and trying to impress people. Your identity is in Christ and you know that he receives you, that he forgives you and it doesn't matter what other people might think. All that matters is Christ and Christ alone. That will set you free. That will set you free. So, and I'm still learning. I'm with all of you. It's hard. I, I wish it was easy. It's not. It's hard because it's a, it's a self-denial all the time of ourselves and wanting to take care of ourselves and make ourselves look better than we are, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. So listen, let the gospel speak to you and humble yourself. All right. One last thing, I promise. Men, let me just speak to you for just one moment. Ladies, you can look on your phone, whatever you want to do. I'm just teasing. Men, let me speak to you for one moment. Please come to this men's breakfast the week from Saturday. Clear your calendar. If you're hunting, I don't even know if it's bow season, when that starts, just come in your camos. I don't care. Hunt early, come in your camos, be here at eight. Here's the reason why I want to encourage you. I told the first service, just bring your guns into the church. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I don't care. Bring your guns into church. I don't really care. Anyways, no. Um, listen, listen. There's an attack on biblical manhood and biblical masculinity in our world today. We men, we need to hear the truth of the gospel of how to be men of God, truly men of God. And that's what we're going to be diving into in these men's meetings. What does it mean to be a man of God? Listen, we are for you. And I know it's easy to get beat up and bad choices we've made. And, but listen, we're here. We're, we are for you. We, we want to help you. We, we want to help you see through God's word how to be the spouse that God's called you to be, how to be the, the father God's called you to be, how to be the, the work person God has called you to be. Your identity needs to be in Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about those things of what true biblical masculinity looks like in a world that is so against it right now. But I believe in God's word shows us what he desires us and how we are to live in relationship to our marriage, our families, how to lead, how to lead yourself, how to lead yourself well 
in Christ. So clear your calendar. If you can come, please come. I believe God will do something in your heart if you come. And if you're scared about it or like, oh, I've never taken a step like this, join the club. Or, you know, it's hard for guys to do this. But I believe if you take that step of faith and avail yourself to that, God will, God will work in your heart. I know he will. He always does when we avail ourselves to him. Amen? All right. My commercial's done. Let me pray for you guys, okay? I love you men, okay? I love you men. We're fighting with you and for you. Um, let me pray for you. Um, this is what we're going to do. Um, some of you may, you, you may have some really heavy burdens today. And this, while we sing, as we close in songs, the worship team comes up. Um, if you need prayer today, um, Kathleen and I will be up front here. Uh, Pastor Brandon and Brittany are over on the side. If, if while we're singing, you just need prayer, come on down front. We'll pray with you. If you want to wait to the end of the service, we'll, we'll still be here. Uh, we'd love to pray with you, whatever you're going through today. You may have some heavy stuff that you're going through and just battling with, and you just need God's help. We are here uh, to pray with you and just agree with you to have God help you. Amen. So let's pray. Father God, just thank you for your word today. We need your help. We all struggle with our identity. We all struggle with who we are. But I thank you, Jesus, that you have come to show us what true freedom is. You've come to show us, God, what it truly means to be a follower of you, Jesus. Thank you for breaking us of our self-sufficiency. Thank you for showing us that this world isn't all that there is. Thank you for showing us through Christ Jesus that all that really matters is our relationship with him. And these other things, if we put them into right perspective and give God the glory, then they become enjoyable and they don't become an anchor. God, you don't want our lives to become an anchor. You want us to walk in that freedom where we put things in proper perspective, that we give you the glory for everything that you've given us. And no matter what thing we might go through or what trial we might go through, we can still give you the glory knowing that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for the promises that you will never leave us. So Lord, just help us with that today and let us strive to be seekers of you and humble us, I pray as we continue to seek you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. What beautiful song that we're going to sing. Let's just sing it to him today. And uh, God bless you.